So we are in Ephesians chapter 2 today, and uh, again, the series is His Mercy is More. It's, it's more of a topical series, which is different. We don't typically do topical things. Uh, we do a little bit of that, but usually we'll take a book of the Bible or you know, in passages and, and go through them. Today, we're, we're actually looking at, uh, and we're starting this topical series called His Mercy is More. Uh, and today's sermon title is Our Sins, They Are Many, His Mercy is More, just like the song we sang earlier today. Um, and we're going to see that in, in, a, in a new light. So today, as we start this series, we're, we're looking at, and through this series, we're looking at the greatness of God's mercy. His mercy is more. And, and, and so, you know, sometimes for you and I, I think as Americans, as, as people who have busy lives and, and other priorities uh, that are going on with work or kids or thing, routine, uh, and even, even in this life where we have most of our needs pretty well met, right? We, we're pretty comfortable in life and, and aren't really desperate a lot. We, we tend to think of God as, as closer uh, in proximity to us than he really is. And now uh, let me qualify that because God should be close. And certainly if we're a Christ follower, we believe the gospel, he indwells us, right? That's the closest it gets. But we think that we're in pretty good standing with God. We think that, oh yeah, we, we're like God's chosen. We're, the, we're, the, we're, we're all good with God. And really there, there has been, and, and if you're not in faith in Christ, not in Christ, there is a great, great chasm between us and God. And for, for the Christ follower, if you're in Christ, there isn't that chasm anymore. He's, he's made, that, uh, made that close. We, we've drawn, he's drawn us close by his blood and through faith. But we still have to understand the depths from which he has rescued us. And, and understanding the depths from which he rescued us uh, sh- shines a greater light on his mercy. You know, the, the, the farther we know that we've been rescued from sin and death and hell, uh, the greater we see how, how amazing God really is how big and grand he really is. And while he, we're close and he calls us friend, he's also still God of the universe. And, and we, have, we have to understand that we are separated and, and from him because of sin and only drawn near to him because of his blood. It also should translate as a Christ follower. When I'm, when I'm loving Jesus and I, I'm close to Jesus, we have to understand that the friends around us that don't know, know Christ are still miles and miles away. There's a huge gulf, a huge chasm between them and God. And see, while we might take our own faith and our own relationship with God seriously, I think we don't take enough the lostness of the world and just how far away they are. And we actually tolerate and put up with them saying, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But that's not true at all. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the, uh, I'm going to really try to get this chasm widened and, and for us to see from the, from the depths that we were rescued and, and how far we were away from God. Today we see his mercy is more by seeing that our sins are many. That sound fun? Maybe not. We'll see. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll be in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 together. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. God, we ask that you would be with us today, and, and God, opening our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. God, I pray you'd fill me to be your messenger, that should be your message, not mine. And God, our desire is to love you more and to see you as, as the great and awesome God of mercy that you are, and to embrace you that way. But God, also to see, see us for who we are, as sinful and corrupt and separated from God because of our sin, and only made right through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, as we, as we looked at that, God, may we have a heart and a burden for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors, for our community who many are still lost and without any hope in this world because of their sin. 
May we understand and see them as, as they are in their sin, lost, with a great chasm between them and God. So we trust that you would guide us today and you would convict us of sin, that you would move us to a place of repentant obedience and repentant faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray in your name. Amen. All right, so we're in the book of Ephesians, and we're in chapter 2, and we're going to look uh, at verses 1 through 9 together. I've got to turn there myself. <clears throat> chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. This is kind of the theme verse today that will, that will kind of hold everything together, and, and you can go back to and read more of. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in, G in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not selves, it is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Amen? So we are looking to look at that today, and, and look at this, this chasm as it widens. We see that there was this, this once we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now, but in Christ, who is rich in mercy because of his great love he had for us, he made us alive. And he, we see he made us alive by grace through faith in Christ alone. So um, our sins are many is the first section. We have two sections today we're going to look at. And the first one, number one, is our sins are many. And we're going to take a little trip here, take a peek into, into the human heart and, and, and how it relates to God and how it because uh, I think we fool ourselves on how we relate to God. I think, okay, I'm a human being. I'm created in God's image. He must love me. He does love me. And I'll just sort it out as I go. But we don't understand the depths of the human heart. And, and, and a lot of it comes down to uh, I, my own perception of my own, uh, my own heart is based on my actions. Like, I'm a pretty good person, so my heart must be pretty good. But God says we're altogether corrupt and evil, and, and, and we don't know him without him, Right? So we look at our sins are many. Uh, we look at this little trek through the human heart. The first part of this is that they believe there is no God. So human beings come to this place of reality where they believe there is no God. Now, they may not say that. They may say the opposite of that. But in their heart, they believe there is no God by saying, I'm going to be God instead. And they treat this world like it's their own little place to do whatever they want, and they are their own God. And we look at this in Psalm 14, 1 through 3. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do vile deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the human race to see if there is one who is wise, one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul quotes this in Romans later on. There's not one that's done good, not even one. We live in a society that, that we measure everything against everybody else so we can say at the end of the day, I'm doing pretty good, or I am pretty good. 
and we fool ourselves, and people fool themselves. And it starts there, in this, in this journey in the heart, it starts that they believe there is no God, and that actually I'm God. And what we find in that is that there is actually no one that's good. No one is good enough to be God, to no, one, no one's good enough to be their own God. There's only one that's good, and that is God himself. I had a conversation, and I, I started this on Wednesday night talking about this conversation, but I had a conversation with a, with a lady who was um, interested in spiritual things. And isn't it interesting how we think that we're good just because we're interested in spiritual things? But, but we began this conversation and talking about spiritual things, and, and she was seeking for some things, but um, as she talked about her, her you know, moments of vision or clarity or, or her spiritual journey in, the nat- in nature and what she was seeing and finding, uh, it, whatever it was, was deceiving her that she was good. Because in this conversation, we started talking, and I started sharing the, the plain gospel that there is no one that's good. That everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There's not one person. We are all in the same boat. And, and her response was very telling, and I think it's very appropriate and accurate in some ways. But she said this. She's like, I don't believe that. I believe I'm a perfect person. And, and now, I, I'm a pastor, and I have this you know, Christian background, and I, I, I cringe any time I ever think that way, that I'm, I could be a perfect person. And she said, I think I'm a perfect person. And I'm, I'm like, oh, man, what do we say to that? I'm like, well, can you explain that? She says, well, I, I'm a I'm a human being. I'm just like every other human being. I'm a perfect example of a human being. Oh, okay, yeah, let, we can work with that. We can work with that. And, and what I led on to say is that, yes, you're, you're right. You're a perfect example of a human being, and I'm a perfect example of a human being. But that example is of a flawed human being, a sinful human being. And she kind of balked at that. Well, I don't understand. I, I try to live a good life. I do what's right. I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm content with my relationship with, with the universe. And, and here was the problem. We, we think we're good, and, and here's why. We keep comparing ourselves to other people. We compare ourselves to other people. And listen, Satan wants us to do that. That's exactly where he wants us to be. If you just would compare yourself to so-and-so, then you'll see how good you really are, and you have no need to repent of your sin or turn away from your own evil thoughts or even to look into the intent or attitude of your heart. Don't worry about that. You're doing great on your own, being your own little God, living like there is no God above you. That's the deception, that you're a good person, because we can compare ourselves to other people. So they they believe there is no God, that they are God, and then we find that there is actually no one that's good, but they still believe they're good because they're their own God. So what does God do? We see in Romans, he hands them over to this these acts. He, Romans 1, 28, it says, and because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, right? This is where it is. I'm God, he's not. Uh, it, they, it, they didn't think it was worthwhile to acknowledge God. God then delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. That's said, fine, if you want to be your own God, here you go. This is, I want you to see the consequences of that. And in this world, you, I mean, you can see it all over. You saw it in Jesus' time. Uh, you saw it before that. The world just was, went to evil and chaos. There, there are days today I look and see what people do in the world and what they think is right, and I just wonder how in the world could they think that is correct or right? I mean, we're only fooling ourselves. But in doing that, God has handed us over to be fools. It says God delivered them over to, to a corrupt mind so they won't do what is right. They are filled with, here's what they're filled with, they're filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy and murder and quarrels and deceit and malice. They are gossips, they're slanderers, they're God-haters, 
arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, as if there wasn't enough evil, we invent it. Disobedient to their parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. I mean, you could take this, this passage and you could line it up with the world today. I mean, people applaud wrongdoing. They applaud evil. They embrace that and, and say that anything opposite of that is actually evil. And, and as you look at that list, you're like, well, I, I don't behave like that, Brandon. I'm, I mean, you're still, you're, the inkling is like, I'm still a good person. I'm still okay. But that list, I mean, it included murder and adultery and, and bad things, right? But it also included like not being, uh, not, not being obedient to your parents, right? And being unloving or untrustworthy. Same list, right? But maybe you're still in that place. I, I don't behave like that. Or at least if I do, that's not who I really am on the inside. Like sometimes I'll mess up, but that's not really who I am. And I, I go back to where I should be. I try to be a good person. You see, we try so hard to make ourselves feel good about our own condition. And in doing that, we try, to, we try to think we can pull one over on God and say, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've convinced myself I'm good, so I must have convinced you that I'm good as well. Well, so they, they believe there's no God. They make themselves their own God, but really there's no one that's good. And then they act like they don't believe there's a God. God lets them behave in this awful manner and applaud those who also do. And then what we find, though, in this, in this walk down humanity's heart where our sins are many, we find that, that it comes from the heart. It's not just about the action. It actually is from the heart. You can't say, well, I have a good heart. I didn't really mean that from within. Here's what Jesus says in Mark 7. He says, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From, for from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, Evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a person. Whatever comes out in our actions has come from a heart that is far from God. Again, this is not about having this external comparison. It's an internal problem. You see, we talk about this, this. There's kind of two analogies I usually use, right? I use a, a long time ago, I used a white sheet analogy where I said, you know, we think we're, we're really pretty spotless. And we have this white sheet and maybe it gets a little dirt on it and a little, little stain here and there. It's kind of the, the war wounds of life, right? We go through life and we, we uh, get these, we gather these war wounds and we gather these scars and this baggage. So on one side, if we look at my sheet, it's, it's kind of stained here and there through life. What we do is we say, let's look at someone else's sheet. And like someone else is like the one that's in prison or the one that was, you know, Adolf Hitler's sheet. It's like stained crazy. It's like black ink and grape juice all over it. And we like that. We like those comparisons because his sheet is dirtier than my sheet. That's not a very fair comparison, though. Because the, the idea of sin and sin nature and, and being far from God is that we aren't comparing ourselves to each other. We're comparing ourselves to God. How stained is God's sheet? It's not at all. You see, this is a, a holiness issue. We're dealing with the God of the universe who created us uh, in his image and, and said, be fruitful and multiply. And, and we were a valued creation to him. And he gave us this capacity to, 
to love and to, to obey. He said, just don't do that one thing, and we did it, right? Sin entered the world, and death entered the world, and stain entered the world. But God didn't have a stain. We did. And see, that sin separated mankind from God, right? That sin separated mankind from God. Mankind was banished then from the Garden of Eden. Why? Because God is perfect, pure, and holy and can't be in the presence of sinful people who are filthy and stained. So we compare ourselves to other people. It's like the sheep. We drive by a beautiful green field, and the sheep in the field, oh, wow, look how white they are. It's a beautiful sight. Let's take pictures. And the next day it snows, and you see how filthy and dirty their coats really were because the white, pure snow is beautiful and starkly in contrast to the dirty sheep that are in the field. We must compare ourselves rightly to God, not to one another. Jeremiah tells us about our heart, because it's in the heart, right? The heart is more deceitful than anything else. And incurable. Who can understand it? That, this, this verse could be a whole sermon on its own. The heart is more deceitful than anything else, isn't it? It even lies to us that we're okay, that we're good enough. It says it's incurable. I can't fix it. I can't do anything to make it better. I can't do anything to actually be good. It's incurable. Who can understand it? Well, the question, who can understand it, is kind of rhetorical. There's two answers. You and I cannot, but God can. Jeremiah exhorted, um, it, was, it was exhorting Jerusalem earlier on. He said, wash the evil from your heart, Jerusalem, uh, so that you will be delivered. How long will you harbor malicious thoughts. There's this deep intent inside. How long will that happen? When will that cure come? Look what Jesus said about sin and our intent. We talk about, you know, I don't, I don't commit adultery. I don't murder people. Well, what did Jesus say in, in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount in verses 21 and 22? He said, you've heard it said that uh, to our ancestors, do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, Everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. This is in the heart, like angry in the heart with my brother or sister. Jesus says, you, you've already committed the act. You've already murdered them in your heart. He went on in verse 27 to talk about adultery. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's so, so important for us to understand that, that we are not good. That every intent of our heart is, is evil without God redeeming it. And, and, and there's this great chasm between us. When we see this, we, we see like, okay, well, I'm not a murderer. I'm not that far from God. No, you are because you've hated from your heart. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not that far from God. No, you are because you've lusted in your heart. Jesus sets it up. He says, the heart is more deceitful than anything. If the standard is what's in the heart, then that sin count gets bigger and bigger. And that chasm between us and God becomes a huge gulf that cannot be crossed. And there are consequences to our sin. We see the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. You have to be away from me. Where they once enjoyed fellowship and company with God, they walked with God, they were now, because of sin, 
expelled from the garden in the presence of God. And we see as time went on in Genesis, we got to the flood, and we read about this in, you know, a few weeks ago. When the Lord saw the, that human wickedness was widespread on the earth, and that, listen, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. This is what God looks down at, at humanity and sees. We see, I'm a pretty good person compared to someone else. And he looks down and says, every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. And it goes on, it says, the Lord had regretted that he had made a man on the earth, and he was deeply grieved. And what happened next? He set out to destroy and wipe it out. So I'm going to start over. And only found Noah and his family who were righteous. And he spared them. So there's consequences to our sin. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think by now we've seen that, right? We, by now we've seen that we are separated from God. We've fallen short. There's no one that's good, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's death. And, and you see, we think we live in a society that says, well, I'm pretty good and I'm measuring up to somebody else. I'm, I'm a decent person and I deserve to be treated that way. But when we really look at our own heart, we must understand that we are going to get what we deserve. That is death and separation from God. Our sins place us there. Our attitude, our rebellion, our every inclination of our hearts and minds that are evil all the time put us in that place. And, and I want you to go back here just to your own thoughts, because I know, I know many of us in this room have, have dealt with this and let Jesus forgive us and wipe away our sin, and now we're made right with God. But just imagine for a minute sugarcoating this. If we were to continue sugarcoating this in life, if we continue to say, I'm pretty good, I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay with God, I'm okay with others, so I must be okay. I look the part, I feel the part. And what about sugarcoating it with your friends? Maybe you, you have done business with Jesus and he's forgiven you, but what about your friends and your family? Are you going to go on sugarcoating it that, yeah, they're pretty good people, so they'll find their way? No one finds their way to God until they realize how far away from God they are and how lost they are. Because listen, when they don't think they're very far, they aren't looking for the way. They don't understand they're lost. That chasm must widen. Our sin, our, our sin and our sin nature should lead us to this point of absolute desperation and despair, knowing how depraved we really are in our heart. There's no one that's good, not even one. And this sin, this depravity, it affects every facet of our nature. It's not just like in this little area. It's, it, it does, and listen, it does not mean, when we say that there's no one good, that there's not one that's good, it does not mean that, that we are as bad as we possibly can be either. You, you might have some virtue. You might have some good things going on. It doesn't mean that you're as bad as you possibly can be. But it also doesn't mean uh, that, that we lack the capacity to love. We were created in the image of God. And, and as God's creation, we still carry His image. And, and we're innately desiring to love. And there's, there's places where we want to serve others, right? So it doesn't mean that we, we lack patience or that the, uh, that the world uh, since the fall is entirely a miserable place. In fact, it's pretty great at some times. But we have to understand how separated we are from God because of our sin. We have fallen short of God's glory. And, and it doesn't mean being lost in sin and separated from God. Listen, this is, this is the crux of this whole, whole section. It does not mean that we have the highest intensity of sin. 
it means that we have an entire absence of holiness. You see, that's the standard. The, the perfect, pure, white sheet of God is the standard. The, the perfect, pure, right, white snow in the field is the standard. You can be a little dirty or a lot dirty. It doesn't really matter. There is no holiness in you or me apart from Christ. There's only holiness found in Christ. Ephesians 2, 12 says, at, the, at that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. That sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? You know, there are, are the five stages of, of grief. And, and you think, and I think it's, it's important. It's obviously, there's some biblical ties to that, and you can see some of these things. But, but the five stages, it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And, and to me today, I thought, you know, as we go through this first section, if I can get you really to the point of being really depressed, I've done my job. Because it, it is. It's depressing to see how bad we really are and how separated we really are. But we can't leave out the next part, Right? We can't leave out the next part because despair would overwhelm us and hopelessness would overwhelm us. Being without hope and without God in the world is overwhelming and should be depressing. The next part, though, is but God. And we, we go to that place of acceptance. We say, I know that I'm sinful and I know that God is greater than that sin and what He has accomplished is greater than in my depression or my despair or my hopelessness. So we have the first section that was our sins are many. The next and final section is this. Number two is His mercy is more. Our sins, though they are many, His mercy is more. I want to read that Ephesians verse again. In chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. In verse 13 it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? See, that, that's the promise of hope. And for us, that, that's where we, we rest. That's where we passion and our excitement. That's where we, we put all of, our, all of our lives in. We say, I'm, I'm all in in the hope of Christ. That's what's going to lead me and guide me. That's where I'm going to have my, my, my uh, live and move and have my being is in Christ and in hope. Not in my own accomplishments or, or really the weariness that I know I can't really live up. As we look at this, this section of His mercy is, is more, we're going to take kind of a look at, at how it's more and what Christ has done. Well, the first verse there says, we've been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Why is that important? Because 2 Corinthians tells us this, that, that He made the one, that's God made the one who did not know sin, this is Jesus, to be sin for us. So our sins are many. And then what God does is He takes those many sins and He says, I'm going to place them on Jesus. The perfect one, the one who knew no sin. So he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I talked about this recently as we've been going through the harmony of the Gospels. Just the fact that, that Jesus is divinely God. He is God in the flesh. It's not some created being. He's not some brother or half-brother of, of Lucifer or Michael the archangel. He is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ 
the Son of God, has, has pre-existed everyone and everything, has eternally existed with God the Father and God the Spirit. And God put on human flesh and came and dwelled among us. And the only way we could be made righteous is if God came. There's no other person on earth that could have attained and done what Jesus did and accomplished. Because we're all sinful. There's no one good, not one. And Jesus says, except God, right? Except Him. He was the good one. That's why we might become the righteousness of God, because Jesus was fully righteous. There was no sin in Him, no error in Him, no corruptness in Him. But He came humbly as a servant, willing to become sin. Not not to become sin in the sense of now He's a sinner, but to take on my sin. To take on your sin. Isaiah says that it pleased God to crush the Son with our sin. The wrath of God was placed on Jesus because of my sin and your sin. God took that on. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So He took sin upon Himself. That's that's mercy. More than that, He satisfied justice. What we deserved was put on Christ. And justice, the justice of God was satisfied because of it. I want to read Romans chapter 3, verses 22 to 26. It says this, The, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So important to get that right there. God came that we would become the righteousness of God. Romans, Paul says in Romans that the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So it's not through good works. It's not through trying to figure it out on your own. It's not trying to, to be the good person. It's saying, I'm not the good person. I never can be the good person. In fact, my, I'm so bad and evil and, and inclination of my heart is always evil. And all of that was put on Jesus so that I could be free from that. The righteousness, righteousness of God is through faith in Christ to all who believe. It takes believing and expressing faith in Christ. It says, since there is no distinction. Paul says it here again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's saying, listen, there's no distinction. Every single person is in the same boat. All have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and God put that sin on His Son, Jesus, so you and I could have righteousness, the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This word justified, I usually like to use it this way. It's just as if I'd never sinned. When we're justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. How are we justified? We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. So he, the redemption, he bought back, he paid for what we owed in verse 25, God presented him as the mercy seat or the atonement by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint, it's amazing, this restraint, this mercy of God, how, how he's restrained, he passed over the sins previously committed. He was patient. He restrained himself. It, but listen, he didn't restrain himself with Jesus. Jesus came ready to seek and to serve and to to save the lost. There was no restraint there. There was no putting on the brakes. He came in a rescue mission. And then when Jesus was here, the Father was pleased to put our sin on Jesus. There was no restraint there. The Lord Jesus gave his life. He put on life, human flesh, in order to give it up and shed his blood for us. 
the atonement. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and would justify the one who has faith in him. Listen, that he would be just. This is so important to understand the nature and the holiness of God. When we, we, We've seen this chasm widen because of God's holiness, because of his purity and his goodness and his righteousness, because of his holiness. We've seen how far away we are from him and how far we must be away from him. In God's holiness, it would not be holy or just or right for God to just overlook sin. It didn't say he overlooked sins. In his restraint, he passed over the sins previously committed. And what did he do? He placed those sins squarely on Jesus, nailed to a cross. God's justice was still carried out. Someone had to pay. So he sent the perfect lamb sacrifice God the Son, who took on our sin. And, and God's justice was satisfied, and, and it says that He would be just. He was just because the justice was satisfied, and that He would justify the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Because God's justice was placed on Jesus for you and for me, when we express our faith in Jesus, we go say, listen, I want what you did to apply to me. God says, yes. Of course it will be. What was done on that cross for you is now yours through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we turn to Christ in faith, we are justified. It's not, he doesn't say, oh, it, it, what you did was justified. It's okay, don't worry about it. No, no, justified is, it's just as if you'd never sinned now. He's wiped away those sins. He's carried them away. In fact, he's placed them on the back of Jesus who carried them away on our behalf. He took our sins upon Himself. His mercy is more. The justice of God was satisfied on Jesus so we might be justified. That's how His mercy is more. In Romans 5, we see Romans 5, 6 6 through 11. It says, while we were still helpless. Get that, helpless. That chasm was wide. It was great. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might die. But God proves His own love, this great love, this grace, this mercy for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by His blood, will we be saved through Him from wrath? I love this. How much more? His mercy is what? His mercy is more. How much more will we, since we've been justified by His blood, will we be saved from wrath? For if while we were enemies of God, we were enemies still, nothing we did to make ourselves uh, friends of God. While we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. God, God reconciled, He fixed and resolved that relationship through the atonement on the cross. Then how much more... More grace, more mercy. His mercy is more. How much more? Having been reconciled, will we be saved by His life? See, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And not only that, but we also now boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received this reconciliation. It's all about the praise to the Father. It's about the praise of the Son. It's about saying it's all about Him and what He has done for me and what He has done for you. He goes on in Romans, he talks about Adam and the first sin and and how sin entered the world. But in verse 18 of Romans 5, 
He says, so then, as, as through one trespass, one sin, there is condemnation for everyone. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered the world, and death entered the world, now there's condemnation for everyone. He says, through that one trespass, there's condemnation for everyone. So also, through one righteous act. Wow, that's all it required? One righteous act that we could never do on our own. Only Jesus could do it. Through one righteous act, there is justification leading to life for everyone. For just as through one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. See, it just rolls on down the hill to us, doesn't it? So also, through one man's obedience, this is Jesus, the many will be made righteous. The law came along to multiply the trespass. So not only were we sinful, and in sin we knew that, when the law came, it just exposed us for who we really were. It's like, wow, we are really bad. Not just a little bad, we are really bad. It multiplied the trespass. It widened that chasm. We thought it might be reachable, it might be attainable if I shape up, but God said, no, no, I'm going to multiply and make that chasm even bigger and wider. So it says, uh, the law came to multiply the trespass, but where sin multiplied, where my sins were many, grace multiplied even more. God's mercy is more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace will reign through righteousness, resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I I want you to get this. That chasm is huge. And my, my grandma had this awesome painting in, in her spare bedroom. It was a room I stayed in every summer. And when we, we go there, there's a painting on the wall. It's a beautiful picture, but it was a huge, wide chasm. This huge, like the Grand Canyon style, big chasm, right? And, and you're on one side. You see all these people on one side. And you see the Lord Jesus on the other side. And this painting had a big, huge cross that went just like this, right? It was a bridge, the cross created a bridge that, that crossed this expanse that, that nothing else could, could, could cross. So without the cross of Christ, there was no getting to the other side. And I remember that in my head over and over, like the only way to get to the other side is the cross of Christ. That's the only way. This chasm is huge, but the cross of Christ is big enough for the expanse that we could cross on the cross. And be safe and secure on the other side in Christ. That's, that's an amazing thing. And as he says here, sin multiplied and grace multiplied, right? And, and this reign, I want you to think about the reigning in there. It says, sin reigned. What does that mean? Without the cross, sin reigned. Sin ruled. And the rule of sin is death. And it reigned and it reigned and it reigned. It, just, it, was, it was supreme over all humanity. Then Jesus but God, who is rich in mercy. So now we have the cross, and and because of the cross, once sin reigned, and in many lives it still does, but once sin reigned, so also now grace will reign. So for you and I, if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, sin no longer reigns over us. Grace should reign. And we should let grace reign. And It's not let it reign right down, It's that it would reign as supreme. That all our hope would be in the grace of God. That that would be what changes everything for us. That being made right with God would be what reigns in our heart and changes our our whole demeanor. That His mercy is more. His grace is more. That His mercy and grace will reign over us. 
Micah chapter 7 says this, Who is a God like you? The answer, no one. There's no one. There's no God whose mercy is more. There's nothing, that, nothing or no one who can accomplish what God has accomplished in Christ for us. Who is like you, God, a forgiving iniquity and passing over rebellion for the rest of his inheritance? He does not hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. Listen, this word faithful love, we've, we've learned a lot about this in the past. It's hesed. His faithful love, it's God's mercy. He, he delights in his mercy and his hesed, faithful, unending, covenantial love for his people. Is a pursuing love for his people. He will again have compassion on us. He will vanquish our iniquities. He will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show loyalty, right? Loyalty, faithfulness. Again, that, that idea of hesed love, mercy. You will show mercy to Jacob and faithful love, mercy to Abraham as you swore to our ancestors from days long ago. Micah is saying, listen, he said, God's mercy is more. God's faithful love is more. This is where we are to lay our hearts and our lives in the covenant, faithful, merciful love of God. Why? Because the chasm is great between us. Our sins are many. But we lay our lives in His hands because His mercy is more. I want to read that first verse we read again in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and your sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world. According to the ruler uh, of, the, of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and our thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as others were also. That sets the stage, right? That's that desperate, uh, really depressing place. Like I am separated from God because of sin. Verse 4, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. But God, whose mercy is more. Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his, uh, sorry, of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. I'm reading a, uh, an Easter devotion, and uh, I found a, a reading. I want to read this to you. This is a, a writing from Catherine Parr. It's kind of a poem. Or a, a, and Catherine lived between 1512 and 1548. She was the sixth wife of King Henry VIII. She wrote uh, this in her book, The Lamentations of a Sinner. She says this, Eternal God, as a loving Father, you have heaped on me innumerable blessings, and I have heaped up many sins. I have despised that which is good, holy, pleasant, and acceptable in your sight, and I have chosen that which is delicious, pleasant, and acceptable in my sight. It was no surprise that I did this, for I refused to know you and learn your ways. I loved darkness better than light. Indeed, darkness seemed to me to be light. I embraced ignorance as knowledge and rejected true knowledge as pointless. I had little regard for your word, 
but gave myself to the vanities and shadows of this world. I abandoned you in whom all, uh, all is truth and followed the foolish imaginations of my own heart. You spoke many pleasant and sweet words to me, and I would not hear. You called me in many ways, but I would not answer. I count myself as one of the most wicked and miserable sinners in the world because I have been so contrary to Christ, my Savior. See, Christ was innocent and empty of all sin, and I wallowed in filthy sin and was free from no sin. Christ was obedient to you, His Father, even to the death of the cross, and I was disobedient and stubborn. Christ was meek and humble in heart, and I most proud and self-serving. Christ despised the world with all its vanities, and I made it my God because of its vanities. Christ came to serve his brothers and sisters, and I longed to rule over them. Christ despised worldly honor, and I delighted to attain it. Christ loved the lowly and simple things of this world, and I esteemed the most fair and pleasant things. Christ loved poverty, and I loved wealth. Christ was gentle and merciful to the poor, and I was hard-hearted and unkind. Christ prayed for his enemies, and I hated mine. Christ rejoiced in the conversion of sinners, and I was not grieved to see them revert to sin. Shall I fall in desperation? No. I will call upon Christ, the light of the world, the fountain of life, the relief of all careful consciences, the peacemaker between God and man, and the only health and comfort of all true repentant sinners. By His almighty power, He can save me and deliver me out of this miserable state. For this is the life everlasting, O Lord, to believe that You are the true God and, and Him who You sent, Jesus Christ. By this faith, I am assured. And by this assurance, I feel the forgiveness of my sins. This is what gives me confidence. This is what comforts me. This is what quenches all despair. Our sins are many, but His mercy is more. And I, I pray that as the writer of Hebrews wrote this, that we could say the same thing. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness or confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, I, I thank you so much for your great love. And, and God, as we come together today and look to your word and, and even peer into the depths of our own heart, the, the, the worst recesses there, God, I pray that that stark difference between our sin, our corruption, our evil, our depravity, God, and your holiness is made super clear. And God, that as we turn to you in, in repentant faith, and look to the grace and the mercy that you have given us through Jesus Christ. We find forgiveness. And we find hope. And I thank you for that. God, may we never make light of our own sin. May we know just how much it costs as we see Jesus on the cross. And God, may we embrace the mercy of our Lord and Savior every day more and more. And God, may we have a burden for the lost around us. 
who are still lost and dead in their sin. God, may we shine this, this light of God's holiness that they might see a Savior sent for them to take their sin upon His shoulders and to carry them graciously by faith into His kingdom. We thank You and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.